We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and all the great ratings and reviews. Now, on to my guest for today, Asha Wilkerson. Asha is a lawyer and entrepreneur in the Bay Area who helps people open and run their businesses. She sees her work as teaching at its heart, and that's what gives her joy. Her mother was in education, and she always saw herself there too, but then decided to pursue law. She practiced employment law for several years before burning out. She shifted to teaching and running a program for paralegals and eventually found her way back to practicing law. But this time, by combining her love of teaching with helping new entrepreneurs navigate the legal terrain of setting up a business. As a legal advisor, Asha has a lot of insights into all sorts of aspects of how businesses and the law work. She stresses the importance of forming a legal business entity, no matter how small you are, in order to protect yourself and to be able to access advantages like business loans or taking investment. Now, let's get better together. Asha Wilkerson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I found out a little bit about you that you're doing the boxing thing, which is really cool. You Um, know, it's a new thing for me. And I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people don't like to learn something new because it's hard to be a beginner, but I am so excited to master something. Master might be a little bit of a stretch, but to become proficient in something else. Competent. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good things. Yeah. I like I've told people before I do jujitsu and other, some other combat sports. And I honestly think everyone should learn a martial art or some sort of combat sport Mm -hmm. to appreciate how awful violence is. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I know from the way that I'm hitting this punching bag, I know that I don't ever want to be hit in real life. So (laughs) it's a a good lesson for me. (laughs) And it sort of puts the world in perspective. Then you don't, you don't look for fights to be honest. And I think we talked a little bit before about 
some of the challenges we're having in the world, I honestly think is a direct relation to people not being able to handle their emotion and or their mm -hmm. physicality and really thinking that violence is the solution. And honestly, you ever got choked out or hit in the face? <laughs> right. You sort of know it's not the way, but right. When someone's like really good at it, much better than you, you, you learn very quickly. You do not want to go is, that way. Yeah, This is not a good thing, um, <laughs> but you don't box professionally, or at least not yet. You're actually a lawyer. Not <laughs> at all. Own, right. <laughs> your own practice, uh, law firm for small businesses. And we're going to talk a lot about how that and entrepreneurship and how that all came together. But before we do that, as I always like to say, why don't you, uh, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Yeah. So I feel like my story is that roundabout story where, you know, people say, follow your passion. That's what you should always be doing. And I was kind of like passion adjacent for a while. So when I graduated college, I wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a principal, middle school principal when I was in middle school and I wanted to follow in her footsteps. And I got this opportunity to learn about the law. I enjoyed the education piece of it. So then I applied to law school. So oftentimes I say I accidentally, if you can accidentally end up in law school, that's what I did and litigated the first few years that I came out of law school and uh, started my own practice after the first firm that I worked for downsized. And then at some point I just got burnt out. I was doing plaintiff side employment litigation. So working with folks who had uh, been discriminated against and lost their jobs because of that discrimination. And it was, it was heavy. Also as a small business owner, I maybe had one or two people working for me at the most. And so my clients would get directly to me and I wanted to be of service, but ended up playing that counseling role at the same time. And I just, I got really burnt out. And a friend of mine said, Asha, what do you really want to do? I said, I want to teach. I want to travel the world and I want to have enough money to live off of. And he was like, well, not in this practice, right? I was like, okay, so I got to, I got to make a change. So I ended up applying for a teaching job at a community college to run a paralegal program. And I started doing that full time, which gave me a little bit of a break from the law practice. And I always knew I was going to come back, but I said, when I come back, I don't want to burn out again. I want to do something that works with my strengths, my strengths and my passion are teaching. doesn't matter what it is from exercise classes to law classes to leadership classes. I love to teach. And so now I have a practice that really focuses on teaching new business owners how to get the legal basics and the business basics in place so that they, they so that they can build a business and then leave a legacy. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for that. Um, I know the legal stuff of business, I mean, because I get asked this question all the time, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play a lawyer on TV. I just <laughs> done this a bunch, made a bunch of mistakes. So I'm sort of, you know, not obviously not as an ex expert as you. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on and talk about that journey uh, primarily is because one of the most popular posts on my blog, The Daily MBA, is the legal structure of business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Funnily enough, I don't know why, but it is. Right. Um, and a lot of people struggle with this because you don't often have to do it. Kind of like anything. If you don't practice something, you're like, mm -hmm. ugh. Yeah, I got to set this thing up. I don't even know what to do. And a lot of people right. make tons and tons of mistakes mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, don't want to spend the money on it. And I get that right. because you're like, oh God, really? But, yeah. but, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> from someone who's messed this up multiple times, and I'm not joking when I say that multiple times, <laughs> what are some of the things that entrepreneurs and, and you primarily, I think, focus on small business and, mm -hmm. and, you know, those kind of entities, but 
generally, what are some of the things that entrepreneurs need to look out for when they form their company? And I think also a follow-up question to that would be like, what are the types of structures that make sense depending mm-hmm. on your business? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that is, I mean, I've helped countless entrepreneurs who have gone out on their own to form their own business and they've made a mistake. So I don't use LegalZoom. And I'm not just saying that because I am an attorney. I'm saying that because I have your best interest in at heart. Some of the things you need to look out for when you form a business is you want an entity in place to protect you legally. Now, the pushback on that is a lot of people say, well, I'm not making that much money or I'm not really dealing with the public. So, you know, but from the attorney perspective, the legal protection is the big thing. If you're taking out debt in the name of the business, that debt dies with the business. If someone slips and falls when they come into your uh, your storefront, then you want them to sue the business, not you personally. If you know, you have medical debt, personal medical debt, you want to keep that away from your business earnings. So there's legal liability protection that will help you. The second thing People talk about the money. I'm not earning $100,000 yet, so is it really worth it to form a business entity? And yes, because that is just one perspective, you know, to save on the taxes, but your legal entity is really your foundation, your base. You can do so much more with a legal entity and have the benefits of the protection than you can as a sole proprietor. So you can open up retirement accounts. You can sign the business up to contracts and have that liability protection. You can get investors. Most investors aren't looking, even if you're just getting a loan, they're not looking to give a loan to an individual. They want to know that the person, even if it's a sole ownership, they want to know that you are savvy enough and responsible enough to form an entity to protect it and then engage with the world like a business owner and not someone who's just kind of bootstrapping and you know fumbling their way through it. Even if you are fumbling your way through it, fumble through it with an LLC or a corporation. So, and then that gets to the second part of what different types of business entities there are. And the two most popular are limited liability companies and then corporations. And some states have other types of entities in there, but every state has LLC and corporation. An LLC is similar to a sole proprietorship in terms of the taxes. You pay self-employment tax, the revenue that you earn or that is taxable gets put on your personal income tax return, but it has liability protection. So there's separation between you and the business. Corporation is a little bit more formal, more filing documents. Think of Google or Facebook. Uh, Most tech companies are corporations because there are two different types of ownership. The preferred stock, which is the founders and people getting in on the ground level. And then there's the common stock. So when you invest in Google stock or, or purchase Apple stock, you become an owner, but you own this common stock, which means you don't really have any power, right? You get to maybe vote once a year and maybe they listen to it. Maybe they don't, right? Um, but you you don't have any decision-making power in the business. So it's a good way for these corporations to earn money on the stock exchange or to be bought out by a bigger company. So those are the two basic structures. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, like if you're a startup founder and want venture capital money, you have to form a Delaware C-Corp or mm-hmm. no venture capitalist will give you any money. Right. <laughs> uh, that's 100% true because there's people that I've known that are like, oh, well, I'll just throw this LLC together in California. Mm-hmm. Bad idea. And then I'll try to go raise money from venture capital. What they always make them do is convert it <laughs> to yeah. a corp, Delaware to Corp. A and yeah. I mean, talk a little bit mm-hmm. about Delaware because you hear about Delaware all the time. Mm-hmm. And I read some of the history on this, which was super fascinating, but why is it that everyone goes with a Delaware Corp? Yeah, so that's a that's another really good question. Now, Delaware has decided that it is going to be the hub for businesses. So 
every jurisdiction that I know of has a family law court. So if you're getting divorced or have child support needs, you go to the family law court. Delaware has a business court that just deals with business issues. And so they have, you know, expert judges in that area. Plenty of cases have been litigated. So it's much easier to understand what's going to happen because they have this tribunal to deal with business issues. Delaware's laws are a little bit more relaxed than let's say California. So there's a fiduciary duty as a business owner. Um, Now don't quote me on this, but this is kind of like, you know, just as an example, California's fiduciary duty is, is really, really strong. And so it says, you know, if you hired someone who made a mistake with the company, California courts want to know, well, how did you vet the person? Did they have any recommendations? What were their credentials? Delaware's like, oh, you hired an expert? All right, cool. <laughs> You're off the hook, right? So there's a different standard. So a lot of big businesses and banking businesses go with Delaware. But here's the catch, though. If you form a Delaware corporation or a Delaware LLC and you are making money in California, California is still going to tax you. And you got to pay to play in California with an annual registration fee of your foreign entity. And you have to pay someone to be the registered agent for service of process in Delaware. So if you were doing business in a state where you live or where the bulk of your business is and it has state income tax, I would look double, triple check, talk with a CPA, talk with an attorney and really find out what is the best place or what is, you know, where is the best place for you to form your corporation? Because a lot of people just hear about Delaware, go and form in Delaware. And now they're paying twice and not, not even aware that they're paying twice, you know, two times what Mm. they should have been paying in the first place. Yeah. And they also call it the rocket docket out there, Mm -hmm. I guess. (laughs) I mean, like, when I when we formed <clears throat> Lab Sensor Solutions and Tagent and all the ones I've ever formed, and we mm-hmm. would use a local firm, a startup, the startup part of the practice of like mm-hmm. Oric, Oric, for example, which is a massive right. law firm. Yeah, they they're like, we're going to Delaware because we literally can get anything we want done quickly. They're super friendly, and of course, if anything gets litigated, you know, it's this rocket docket thing where. <laughs> They can resolve it pretty quick, which is good. Like people bash on all the legal stuff when it comes to companies and the money and, you know, all these like games that people play. But one of the reasons it's so powerful in Delaware, and in fact, I think from it's almost from its founding back, back in the day, I mean, like 17, late 17, early 1800s, they sort of realized that they were competing apparently competing states for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know this until I read about it. It was really cool. Competing states on who's going to win, right? Right. And Delaware's like, that's that. That's what we're going to be. We're going to mm-hmm. be the, the, the corporation place. And while it may seem a little bit odd to people and why that's important and how come, you know, these different states have these different laws. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the reason why. Like Delaware is more friendly for corporations. Right. California not so much. Right. So you'll see a lot of tech companies or banking, banking uh, industry companies, like financial companies that have, um, you know, major sort of responsibility to their consumers and their end users that'll end up going to Delaware because the court's a little bit more friendly and a little bit more relaxed in terms of what the responsibility is for the owners. Not totally relaxed. So it's not a free, you know, no, not it, it's by. not free to be you and me. Let's, right. you know, no, <laughs> right. it, 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 yeah, you're right. It, it, I think, and I think to your point, right. It really depends on what you're doing. So mm-hmm. if you're a venture backed startup, that's going to get investors, mm-hmm. 
hundred percent of the time they're going to be like Delaware C Corp. That right. They, there's no no. Just do that. Like that's what your lawyer. Just do it. Don't Absolutely. try to save money on that because it it never worked. But let's say you're uh, like what I do for a living, right? JSY PR and marketing is a California mm-hmm. LLC. Mm-hmm. I don't take investors, but like I want to be able to enter into contracts and have some legal protection. I mean, again, I don't need a lot, right? I don't do like things that'll harm people. Right. But as an entity, I get advantages, right? Mm-hmm. And I got, you know, I can set stuff up. The company can write contracts, like you know, what exactly what you said in the beginning. <clears throat> of course, I have to pay California because I'm in California and the right. taxes. And honestly, California corporate law is horrible. The fees are outrageously <laughs> nutty. I'm I'm serious because like for me, it's not a big a deal. But if you're like the local, you know, tamale lady, as an example, mm-hmm. like or a, a, some sort of restaurant or food entrepreneur, I mean, eight hundred bucks a year to file right. is a lot. <laughs> yeah. So let me so let me clarify that. So the yeah. eight hundred dollars is not it's not a fee. It's actually a minimum tax that right. you're required to right. pay. Right. So most folks, I would say if you're profitable and even if you earn only $3,000 for the year, your minimum tax liability is going to be more than $800 in California anyway, because that's just how it is. So I would not let that $800 minimum tax deter people from starting a business because one, we're not playing to play small, right? We're, we're going to be in this game to play big and $800 a year to pay to as a minimum tax again not a fee you don't have to pay that every year in terms of you know this this allows me to do business it just right. gets added on or absorbed into your tax bill if you owe more than $800 so yeah. don't don't let that don't let that scare you and if you are scared about it if you're not sure reach out to an attorney to t- to talk to you about it and reach out to a CPA don't take legal advice from the CPA and don't take tax advice from the attorney. Make sure you have your team, <laughs> right? Because we've studied different things, but yeah, get your yeah. questions asked. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. the fear part that makes people make mistakes. And it's really not as scary once you know the information, you know what rules you need to follow. Yeah. I mean, agreed. And I'm glad you brought that up and clarified that. Cause I mean, I bash on California because, well, I mean, I, I grew up here. I live here. Right. We're still here. Right? We're still here. <laughs> But but the thing is, like, what we are seeing from COVID is this exodus from California. And mm-hmm. it is the first time in California's history since they started tracking this stuff that net people have left California for mm-hmm. this last census. Actually, 186,000 people left. We actually lost a House of Republic, uh, how, sorry, lost a House of uh-huh. Representative seat. We're going to have right. to redistrict it. It's uh, this whole nightmare. When you, when you, when you like kind of dig in a little bit on that, clearly some of it is like, look, we just have migration, but a mm-hmm. lot of it is the business setup and the business tax in California, not being as friendly as say our neighbor, Nevada or our right. cousin, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, brother from another mother. In yeah. Delaware. Um, and I'm curious, is there a point in time where you really have to make that foreign entity decision as in, ah, you know, mm-hmm. there's a certain advantage now that I'm going to like, it's depending on the state you're in granted. I mean, there's gotta be some calculation where it makes sense to, okay, I'm going to have to put this somewhere else and it's paying mm-hmm. the foreign, foreign filing fee was worth it. 
I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, with today's economy, it gets, it gets more challenging because if you have employees, so now we're all hiring remote, remote workers. And if you have someone in Florida and someone in Colorado and someone in California, you have to adhere to the employment law in each of those states. So, you know, even if you move your entity from California to Texas, but you still have contacts in California that are going to require you to pay taxes or to follow that employment law or Colorado or Florida, you still have to play by those same rules. Now, some of the benefit, and it's a holistic picture because being in California, it's the land of startups. It's the land of opportunity. It's the land of big dreamers. Yeah. You know, the paved, connections. It's, it's paved in gold. <laughs> you got to work for it, but, yeah. you know, but people are innovating, yeah. uh, especially in the Bay Area where I live. I mean, you've got all these big colleges and, mm-hmm. and venture capitalists and accelerators. And so there is there is a trade off. Right. California is extremely expensive just to live and to make a living, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. But there are also distinct advantages that you get from being in California that you might not see in Texas or you might not see in you know, Delaware, for example. Now everything is changing. So, you know, all the Californians are moving to uh, (laughs) Texas and Georgia. So, you know, and Tennessee and right. So the climate is going to change, Mm -hmm. but I would say you just have to look at the, at the bigger picture. Uh, I was listening to a podcast with an attorney who's from Chicago. She wanted to grow her firm and uh, she said that she wanted, she, she had kids. And then once kids come along, she, you know, had different priorities and she moved to I think right outside of Atlanta. And she said, you know, it, it helped her grow her business because she wasn't as close to family. So she didn't have to make an excuse like, no, I can't come over for this weekend's baby shower because I'm all the way down here in Georgia, cheaper, you know, bigger house, kids can play outside. She's not making that choice to work to live, right? She can actually like live and have a life and really enjoy the things that are around her. But if you're a tech startup company, California is probably the place to be because that's where everybody's doing it, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of money here and a lot of, you know, talent. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up the whole COVID. I mean, because it's a huge push. I mean, this work remote, even after the pandemic, when we all mm-hmm. kind of go back to quote unquote, you know, life before the before times kind of thing. Right. <clears throat> um, this is going to be an issue that I don't think a lot of companies are going to really, I mean, the, the working remote's hard to begin with. Mm-hmm. You lose, you lose something from not being in the same physical space. I don't mm-hmm. care what anyone says. I don't care about the statistics. It's all bullshit. Like, <laughs> I mean, you and I were talking a little bit before about like you going to the gym, like mm-hmm. I need, you need people, even if you're like me, highly functional introvert. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big well, I don't like to, you know, chit chat. That's why I do this podcast. Honestly. Uh-huh. I practice, I practice, I literally uh-huh. practice talking to people, but still, you know, I went back to the gym on Monday mm-hmm. and it's like, this is awesome. Cause I'm in, I'm around people. There's things that you just can't, just doesn't translate like right. on zoom, which was we're on. Right. And so let's, you know, what advice do you give companies about this remote work? I mean, even remote work, depending on the business, right? Even remote work within the same community is going to happen. Is there additional legal things to think about, about liability or just like general, like what's the law? I mean, cause it's going to have to change. I can't see there's some, something's going to change because people are going to be everywhere. 
Right. Yeah. So uh, first of all, it depends on where people are working. So understanding employment law in those jurisdictions. So if you've got California, Oregon, and Washington, the law is a little bit different in each state. And I wouldn't spend too much time trying to figure it out. I would just get with a payroll company who can help you figure it out on the labor side of it, on the wage side of it. Um, The other thing about wages too, is you want to make sure that you have the policies in place so that People aren't working unauthorized overtime, you know, so that so so that if someone is working overtime, you have at least protected yourself with the policies and the procedures so they can't come back and say, well, I worked a 16 hour day and I didn't get paid for it. Now, I, I'm not saying that to be wary of your employees. I think employees are your biggest asset in your business, but it's just something it's another responsibility that you need to pay attention to um, security. Mm-hmm. You know, how are the computers secure? Are you dealing with client information and client files and just making sure that the that the steps are in place and the software is in place to protect client files, even on this remote computer? So what is oh, that yeah, getting with an point. IT company for yeah. that? There's uh, liability I, there for sure. This mm-hmm. whole even um, privacy and protection, PPI information. Right. I mean, even like if you're dealing with Europe, it's... Don't, don't even yeah. get me started they're, on the they're leagues ahead of us <laughs> yeah but but california is sort of one of the states mm-hmm. that's pretty pretty bullish on protection and privacy yeah interesting i didn't think about the liability of that and like mm-hmm. systems and placement it's a good good point you know and and i wouldn't say that it's something to be scared of it's just something to find an expert you know i'm all about saying in my lo- my zone of genius i <laughs> i Staying don't in know the sw- Lane. I'm going to stay yeah, right here. <laughs> exactly. Like I am not the IT person. I'm not, I know a little bit about yeah, a little bit, uh, but enough, what I really enough to know, be enough to be dangerous, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, focus on what you know, and then just put, surround yourself with people who are experts in those other fields that you might need. So, and that takes the guesswork out of it. It takes the fear out of it, but I'm really, really big about getting folks in community and getting the right information because we make mistakes when we don't know. We also hesitate to ask because we think it's going to cost a lot of money, but get into some kind of a group where people are moving in the same direction as you post a question in the group and see what the suggestions are. And then go and hire that expert to help you with the remote work setup, to help you with the payroll setup, to help you with onboarding employees. Another thing too about this remote work, uh, as I was talking to my mom, you know, former educator was talking about this online education at the elementary level. It just seems like a disaster or, you know, K through 12 seems like a disaster. But in my program, teaching paralegal students being online, I think has really helped our program because now everybody has a computer or a device that can connect to the internet. And so I can do more with teaching. And I I said to her, I was like, you know, I think if we stop looking at online or remote, remote work as a direct replacement for being in the classroom or in the workspace. And we look at it as an alternative for the beauty and the, you know, the pros and the cons that it has to offer. It's not the same. It doesn't need to be the same, but let's look at it as a different modality. It's like, you know, listening to audio and then watching a video, you still get information, but you're using different senses. So what are the pros and cons of listening to the podcast? And what are the pros and cons of watching it on YouTube? It, they're mm. different. You're getting information, but mm. there are benefits and you know takeaways from both. So maybe you have a combination. Maybe mm. you decide to do one or the other. Mm. Mm-hmm. But if we start 
if we get out of that binary and it's either this or that it's that or it's good or it's bad and think about what does it have to offer and then make the best choice for you. So what's great for me may not be great for you. And that's fine. Make the best choice for you and your business. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also relates to resilience too. Mm -hmm. I mean, contingency is always one of these things that not a lot of businesses think about. I mean, I, I never did. Right. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I know a lot about statistics and, you know, probabilities and stuff, but uh, you know, my, my business, just as an example, you know, it's a services based business I can do from Mm -hmm. anywhere. My client can be anywhere in the world. If I have a computer, a microphone and a Mm -hmm. camera, I'm in business. Like it's my mind. Like if I suddenly go away, then of course I'm in world of hurt. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. Right. But, but for other businesses like physical space, Mm -hmm. you know, like the best example, cafes and, you know, venues, live music. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is like, you're right. Like every, and I think this is good, like just general entrepreneur advice. I love your whole like thought process about gather people around you, have a community, ask the experts, get the help you need. Mm -hmm. And I think generally entrepreneurs need to do that more. Um, Right. And that's because this journey is such a hard journey. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you got to think about this even for your own business, right? Like right. you mentioned, I'm not an IT expert. Well, my online business that I'm both a teacher and a law firm, well, right. I need some IT. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's super fascinating because I never, I never thought of it that way. I mean, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're naturally kind of resilient and zig and mm-hmm. zag and, you know, we hustle. So for us, it's just another problem to solve. But for a lot of businesses right. like the brick and mortar ones, or even a gym, best example, mm-hmm. you're talking about gyms before. I mean, my jujitsu gym had to shut down. Right. Physical right. space shut down for, mm-hmm. it's been shut down for 12 months, 13 right. months. Right. And then they transitioned to online Zoom, right? Which right. was not as good. Right. But it's something. But it's something, but then more importantly, now I think what I think, and I'm going to talk with them about it, it's like, well, now you have the infrastructure. Just mm-hmm. keep, keep some of that infrastructure in place. Right. Like, like right. I, I interviewed a guy from the New York city guitar school, this guy named mm-hmm. Dan, Dan Emery had the same problem. He had a thousand yeah. students over six locations or five locations in New York city. Wow. And within a day it shut them all down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he's like, mm-hmm. now what? Right. Right. Well, for him, it was online. So is and, and maybe maybe you don't know the answer to this, but my guess is there's some like how do you prepare for downside risk or, mm-hmm. or risk from a from a lawyer perspective, like other than incorporating into LLC or whatever? Right. I always hear that okay, contract. There's a contract. There's this clause that says force majeure, for, force mm-hmm. majeure, mm-hmm. which is basically act of God. Translator, right? right? Yeah, okay. gets you out of the contract. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, is pandemic an act of God? <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, it is. But I would say just all, like on the business. So, putting on my business advisor hat, right? I'm getting ready to talk with my membership community about making this one offer. What is the one thing that you can do that you can do over and over again that is scalable, where you can serve your clients 
and, you know, and grow your business. And people get really scared about this one offer, but one offer doesn't mean that you don't deliver it in different ways. Mm. So let's say my one offer is business formation. I can have you come to my office and I can form the business for you. I have, and I have done this. I have recorded a video course on how to create your California LLC. It's the same thing, but it's delivered in a different modality. And then at one point in time, I was offering group classes where I'm walking you through forming the LLC online together on Zoom. So that's the same offer. I can do it for you. You can do it yourself with the video. We can do it together in a group. Same at California LLC, just different deliverables. I was on a panel a couple of weeks ago um, with a guy whose family owns like 12 Auntie Anne's pretzels. When did you see in the restaurant, mm, in the malls? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. said that they had 12 locations and they were all in the malls and they had thought about, they had toyed around with doing delivery like on DoorDash and Uber Eats, but they're like, eh, I don't know, it's too expensive. When the pandemic came, they had to shut down. They couldn't even get back in because they were all in malls. He said, now that they're starting to reopen, he's really giving some thought to having some kind of takeout, some delivery option that he was opposed to before because they never had to do it. But the restaurants that survived, especially in California, were able to go into their own kitchens and people could come and pick it up or people could deliver on the app. So it's not that they're doing something different. It's looking at how to deliver these things in different ways. And I've, and I've heard from different, you know, experts and stuff. You don't want to have one client or one avenue have more than 30% of your revenue. So if one gets shut down, you know, you don't want to be completely shut down. So I encourage people to think about, especially service-based providers or service-based businesses. I think it's a lot easier to do than like a, a brick and mortar, but how, how can you offer the same thing in different ways? What can you put online? So gyms, you can do personal training. You can do group classes. You can do online personal training. You can do online group classes. Same thing, different modality, right? right? And it's right. and it's not it's not going to be an exact replica of being in class and sparring with somebody in class. So make it a little different and accept, you know, accept that it is going to be different, but know that there's always going to be a population who wants this online. There's always going to be a population who wants online personal training. There's always going to be a population that wants this, you know, in person sweating on top of each other, you know, like ah, endorphin rush and in-person training and be able to speak to those different audiences. So do what you're doing, but see how you can deliver it in different ways. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what Dan found at New York city guitar school. Mm-hmm. He, he had had an inkling that he should go online, but he's like, Jari community. I like to play guitar. I'm a, you know, kind of right. a artist, you know, right. like musician, like physically there. And then mm-hmm. and he, he did a couple of things, which I thought were pretty interesting. One, he had a kind of a rainy day fund to help. Mm-hmm. And two, he's like, I am rapidly going to shut down what I don't need to have. And I'm just going right. to move online. Mm-hmm. And so that contingency, and again, you know, maybe your lawyer honestly may or may not be able to help you with that because, right. you know, lawyers have a tendency to want to protect everything. We used mm-hmm. to, we used to have a joke saying if we left it to the lawyers, we wouldn't do any business at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's only half true. <laughs> That's only half true. Right. Right. You know, and I, then the other thing is lawyers have the best lawyer jokes ever. <laughs> you know, like you can't really take yourself that serious. Right. But, but some of them do. Yeah. Not some me of them do. Yeah. I, I, I just, I'm giving you, I'm teasing you a little bit, but, but as, so I think the thought process to your point, which I like, and it's both, from a business perspective. And I mean, even you have to understand the legal aspects of it too. Mm -hmm. So 
if you shut down, if, if a health order shuts down your restaurant, are you liable for the rent? Right. And in some cases, like it's a little squishy because mm-hmm. this force majeure thing is like, uh, some people we used to have when I, one time, just a quick story. One time I was in a conference room with a, a couple of lawyers and mm-hmm. tense situation, right? <laughs> big, big corporate lawyer in our little, you know, we were a startup. And this sounds like, like the making of a bad joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and we I go, well, we have a contract. We have a contract with you. And then the corporate lawyer, you know, like just mm-hmm. imagine what the corporate lawyer looked like. He's right. like, well, you see words and I see words. We just think they mean different things. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, okay, oh, boy. right. this isn't going to work. I mean, mm-hmm. most people, I'm just. But that definitely, that definitely could happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and more than just the piece of paper, I always tell people to do business with folks that you really want to do business with, because hopefully you don't ever have to use that contract to enforce what's going to happen. But if you do have to negotiate, you want to be in partnership with someone who has similar values to you, who you can communicate with, who's not just, you know, a bull in the China shop all the time who wants to work through things and find an issue. You know, we all know those people who just like to fight for anything. And and that's yeah. why I don't like litigation. I'm much more of a problem solver as opposed yeah. to, you know, let me just duke it out in court. Like, let's figure yeah. this thing out so we can move on. Yeah. I always say you failed if you have to call the lawyers, no offense, because you have, <laughs> take like, it. Take yeah, it. you have, I mean, you know, the contracts are to keep honest people honest and it's true mm-hmm. and you need a framework, but right. When you got so you like, call the lawyer before you get in trouble. That's the right, thing, right? right Think right. of us like, like like doctors. You know, yeah. preventative medicine is amazing. If you yeah, go yeah. before you have an issue to understand what the parameters are and what you're trying to do and put it in writing, then you're hopefully not going to need us later because yeah. that's when it gets painful and that's why nobody likes attorneys. <laughs> yeah, and and I always say, yeah, I don't like attorneys except mine. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But fair enough. I, I'm being facetious, and, and they do honestly. Lawyers get a bad rap. I mean it's well worth the money, the time, the effort to really understand this. Because again, you're right. Like you want it set up properly to begin with so that you can mitigate any of these disasters as they come. Because the closer you get to litigation and lawsuit, you failed. Everyone's failed. This whole thing is a nightmare. And there are, again, like you said, there are companies and law firms, they just like to fight. So like what that lawyer said to us, you see words, I see words. They just mean different things, right? Like that's a losing battle. Yeah. And because attorneys get paid to fight. So, you know, I would rather keep you out of hot water. Yeah. I would rather keep you out of the doctor's office. I don't want you on the surgical table, you know, trying to piece your body back together. I want you to go ahead of time and do that preventative maintenance. And so what takes what reduces the bill and takes the fear out of it is to get in relationship with a CPA, with an attorney, with a business advisor, business coach to help you work through some of these things in advance, because the people who have been through it before or who have been trained can help you before you get to that crossroads or help you make a better decision at that crossroads. But just have those people on your team, even if you're not talking to them on a weekly or monthly basis, make that relationship, find people that you trust, because there's nothing like having to rely on somebody and you don't quite trust them. We've all been to that doctor that you're like, mm. They went to medical school, but they, I don't know, you know, what's their motivation. So especially before you need it, 
just meet people, go out, network, you know, find somebody that you want to know their kids' names and you want to know what they do on the weekends and create that relationship. Those relationships are important and then make sure that they have the skill to really help you where you need that help. Yeah. Well, I think that's just general great business entrepreneur advice. I think you need the kind of kitchen cabinet Mm -hmm. kind of mentors, peer mentors and business. I mean, it takes a village for lack of a better word. Right. right. I mean, and, and you don't, you can't know it all. I think that's the other thing. Like you, right. you can know a little bit about it. So you know, the questions to ask, but I mean, all the stuff I learned about this legal stuff was talk, sitting down. Okay. What mm-hmm. do we do? Talk to the lawyers. I mean, a lot on, you know, file a bunch of patents. So I know more about that, but mm-hmm. you know, you have yeah. to know a little bit, but do you really want to risk you know, not doing right. It right. <laughs> and again, you know, I keep talking about the big leap by Gay Hendricks. Stay in your zone of yeah. excellence. Yeah. You know, don't you don't need to step out of your lane. And I get when you're starting out, you don't know who to trust, what to do, and you might not have a whole lot of money. Right. But as much as you can, stick to what you know and plug those other people in place who are the experts in their field. And there's no shame in doing that at all. I think there's this, you know, we're in this culture of like overnight sensations and overnight celebrities and people who have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and really in business, nobody, nobody does it alone. So don't buy into that hype, you know, surround yourself with the right community, get the experts and then just go for it. And then also don't feel bad if you have to change your offer or change your business. You know, I, I, I've gone through this before too. I started out litigating that I didn't want to do employment law on the plaintiff side. I wanted to do the advice and counsel, you know, I've changed a few times and sometimes there's this, I don't know if it's quite shame, but there's feeling of, oh, I got it wrong. I'm not very good at this because I'm changing, but that is life. That is the the meaning of being an entrepreneur. The market doesn't stay the same. Your customers don't stay the same. You don't stay the same. Your family changes, life happens. And so your business is always going to be a reflection of you and what's going on with you at the time. So do not hesitate that if you're down this path and you don't want to do it anymore, just pivot and then, and, and let it go, you know, and and be comfortable with that change that you're making. You don't have to run something into the ground just to say that you stuck with it. Right, right. So so would that be the advice you'd give to the next generation of entrepreneurs or what, what any more thoughts on that? Because I mean, yeah, know, there's there's the legal advice. Clearly, you're an expert in that. But right. uh, I love I love <laughs> some of this uh because you have to run your own business too. So I mean, what would you tell them that next generation of entrepreneur coming up? Yeah, I would say there, there's, there's, in my experience, it's kind of two classes of entrepreneurs, the folks who are passionate about something and turn it into a business. And then there's the folks who just really want to make some money. And I think that if you really want to make some money, you got to be, that has to be your passion, just making money. Because if you get into entrepreneurship and into business, because you think it's the cool thing to do, but you're not wholly committed to seeing it through, and you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're going to burn out because it's not any easier than working for somebody else. And it, you go on this emotional roller coaster, and I don't have kids, but I always say it's probably like having children. The most beautiful, stressful, hair pulling, rewarding thing that you can do in your life. It changes, it grows, you change, you grow, and you want to be passionate about the thing that you're doing because it's a lot of stress. It takes a lot, a lot out of you if it's not something that you really want to do. So, and then the second part of that, like I keep saying, is surround yourself with the right people. You want some people that are on this journey with you. You want some people that are a little bit ahead of you. And then you want people who are your stretch for goals so you can know where you're trying to go. But nobody does it alone. Find your community, 
get the good advice and go make, go make your money, go live your life. Wow. Well, that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for, for taking you. the time and good luck with the boxing. <laughs> I appreciate it. Get my, I, you know, just to challenge myself, I'm, I'm ambidextrous, but usually do sports right-handed. So yeah. I'm boxing left-handed just to see, you know, Southpaw. Uh, hmm. yeah, I've, I've got them all cool. They think I'm really left-handed, but you know, Whoa. If, I, if I pick up the basketball again, they'll see that I'm really a righty. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I like dribble a basketball, I dribble with my left hand, even though I'm uh-huh. right-handed, it's the weirdest thing. I'm way yeah. better with my left hand with a basketball, but then I uh-huh. throw right. And of course, when I, spar up i'm i'm a right right handy so mm-hmm. i don't you know, do I, that but i write left-handed i use my fork left-handed i cut with my right and i usually play sports with my right so i'm all over the place and who knows what hand i open doorknobs with <laughs> <laughs> well we need to get to the bottom of that next time so yes next time <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time stay safe thank you thanks asha for the great interview I uh, got a lot out of it, even though uh, I've been around the block a few times. It's always good to get a refresher in all the nuances of what's going on in the legal world related to business. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from the interview. First things first, form an LLC or a corporation. Educate yourself about what's best for your business and consult an attorney about the pros and cons of each. This is important to set everything up correctly at the beginning. (laughs) I've made this mistake many times. That's why I'm laughing. Stay in your zone and ask for help and advice from others in areas that are outside of what you know. You don't have to figure it all out on your own. Find the right people to mentor you, advise you, and cheer you on. I think this is especially important in the legal and financial and accounting stuff. You need to know a little bit, but you don't need to be an expert. Like, Go hire that out. It's really, one, it's going to free you up to do what you do best. And two, you'll be legally compliant, which is important. Embrace change. Don't stick with one path just for the sake of sticking with it. If you feel called to make a turn, don't be afraid to follow it. So sometimes you got to zig and zag. That doesn't mean that you, you know, go on a whim. But when you can read the tea leaves and it's going the way you need it to go, well, follow it. Do business with who you feel good about doing business with. This will really go a long way towards avoiding expensive and time-consuming litigations in the future. And, uh, you know, every lawyer you'll talk to says, you know, contracts are really just to keep honest people honest. I mean, you really don't want to have to go to court or get litigation. Um, So, you know, even though you have a contract, just make sure the people you're doing business with that you trust and you guys can sort out any issues and stuff. So there you have it. Those are the actionable insights I learned from my interview with Asha. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. 
I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.